0: When there's an overrepresentation of one demographic and an underrepresentation or erasure of other demographics when it comes to leadership, power, decision-making, and creativity, are we really creating at our highest levels? And the answer is frankly no
1: I probably don't need to explain to you that there are certain types of stories here in America that are easier to accept than others. At some point, We make certain judgments about which stories we want to buy into and which ones we don't. And most of us get pretty good at doing this automatically. We decide which stories we think deserve to be taken seriously and which can be dismissed. It's just how we get through life. The problem is, the way we decide which stories to listen to says a lot about us. And sometimes we reject stories because they tell us something we don't want to hear. That's where my friend Christina Blacken comes in, and man, oh man, prepare yourself for an incredible episode as we get to learn from her. I am Harris Third, and you're listening to The Story Podcast. Christina Blacken is a Memphis native and founded what she calls the New Quo, which seeks to expand the kind of stories that are listened to here in America and train people in growing their narrative intelligence. Listen in on some of her talk from Story 2020, where she talks about a conversation she had with her grandma who grew up in the Jim Crow South. Naturally, hearing about her grandmother's experiences with racism and segregation had a deep impact on Christina's life and changed how she feels about what story even is.
0: And this interview struck me to my core, because the phrase, you knew that you could get murdered for absolutely nothing, for being a black person in the wrong place in the wrong time, was a fear-based narrative that kept her alive. And we've seen that same fear-based narrative confirmed 70 years later in the year 2020, with the murders of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and so many other names that do not have justice. And it made me think about this moment in time that we're transitioning through where we have these crusty heirlooms of narratives that have been passed from parents to child, from teacher to student, from religious practitioner to parishioner around race, class, gender, sexuality, leadership and power, that feel like these crusty heirlooms. They don't fit and we don't like them, but they become the fabric of our clothing and the oxygen that we breathe. And they've created a rift between who we are right now and who we want to be. They've created the breakdowns that we see in the environmental issues that we're experiencing with hurricanes and earthquakes every other day. They've created the economic breakdowns, the millions of people unemployed who cannot meet their basic needs, and they've created this new consciousness around social and cultural issues. But there is an opportunity that I see, which is we are now in this transactional leadership practices, the status quo of essentially maintaining things as they are through the practice of metrics-based, emotionless goals that are about rewards and punishments. But we have this opportunity to choose differently. And as storytellers and creators, I am asking you to see yourself in the leadership seat. Because you will power as a storyteller, as a maker. You have the power to shift minds, to shift hearts, to shift behavior. And if we choose transformational leadership, we can ultimately critique the status quo, figure out what isn't working, and create a new narrative that's engaging and beneficial to everybody. Now for you to do this, you'll need to tap into your narrative intelligence. Now this is a term that I absolutely love. I did not coin this term, but it's part of my work that I do at The New Quo with inclusion and leadership development, where I help people tap into the psychological power of story to build inclusive cultures and companies and creative. And your narrative intelligence is inbuilt, but it was a term that was first coined in the 1970s by AI researchers who were trying to figure out how do we get algorithms to think and compute like human brains? Because as you know, as a storyteller lover, that story is a guiding fundamental principle of the human experience. You use stories to make decisions, you use stories to remember your past experiences, you use stories to attach meaning to the changes and events that are occurring around you.
1: Christina says there are two parts to gaining narrative intelligence. The first is examining the narratives you already hold so that you can understand them better. Not just what the story is, but why you've internalized it and what that says about you. No need to be judgmental or hard on yourself here. You're just trying to figure your interior life out a little bit more. Secondly, you need to understand how you're using that story as leverage for your relationship with others. That's harder to do, right? But I promise you, The work is well worth
0: it. When someone hears a narrative, they have a cognitive process, literally called narrative transport, where they adopt the values and beliefs and the sights and sounds of that narrative as their own. And when that gets embedded into their psyche, their behaviors are influenced. So you as a storyteller have immense power to be a leader. Even if you don't have a formal title around leadership, you influence people's thinking and you influence the values that drive the things that they're creating and making. Now before I was an entrepreneur, I'd spent 10 years of my career working across four different industries, from the law world to the nonprofit space to marketing, media, and sales. And I used storytelling in those positions to close millions of dollars in deals, to motivate people to buy crap they probably don't need. But I also noticed a pattern across these industries, which is organizations are so good at leveraging external narrative, but they're not conscious of the internal narratives that are driving their beliefs around leadership, power, and creativity. And there are certain dominant narratives and values that create limiting behaviors and inequality that we're seeing right now. So I've coined this the culture of autopilot, and you might experience this right now in your organization or it's been part of your career in the past but there are three dominant values and narratives attached that you can see in a culture of autopilot. The first is when change and difference occurs, there's a trigger of anxiety and fear. And from this trigger of fear, the first value that people seek out is conformity, seeking people like themselves, being in this insular, homogenous sort of circle that ultimately doesn't allow them to truly innovate and problem solve at their highest levels. And with that conformity, then toxic competition is flourishing because it's a zero-sum game. It feels like scarcity, where there's not enough power or leadership to go around. And from that toxic competition, perfectionism becomes the guiding value of how people create and make things. Now, this feels like a comfort blanket. good, and it feels like the anxieties of future will be gone if we just cling to these values. But it creates a false sense of safety, reduced innovation, and ultimately reduced trust. Now this isn't just anecdotal from my personal experiences. There are really interesting studies that highlight these pervasive values and how they affect the narratives and the creative that organizations make.
1: Once you understand these things, it's so much easier to start telling and listening to better stories because you've got a sort of map of how these things impact you. You understand where you can and can't handle the truth and how your upbringing changes how you perceive certain things.
0: When it comes to conformity, there was a really interesting study done by Tina Kiefer, who's an organizational professor. She was working at the University of Warwick and she was working with a group of business executives that spoke a different language than she did, but she wanted to understand their values and their beliefs around leadership. So she came up with a drawing activity, and she asked them a question that I'm going to ask you. I want you to close your eyes. I can't see you, but I can feel you closing your eyes. And I want you to imagine, what does an ideal or an efficient leader look like? Now, if you imagine a man, you're in line with the outcome of this experiment, which has been replicated dozens of times at different demographics. And almost every time when people are asked this question, they draw a picture of a man. And on top of that, they draw a light-skinned man with straight hair. Now, this can be directly tied to our dominant narratives about leadership. The podcasts, the TV shows, the movies that we see, and who we get to see as a leader. If you Google leadership and Google images, you will get a certain type of image that comes up. And that points out the fact that 7 in 10 Fortune 500 CEOs right now are white and male. Those Fortune 500 CEOs lead 69 million workers worldwide. And I can guarantee and bet my life savings that those 69 million people are not all white men. And it's not to say that white male leadership is bad, but when there's an overrepresentation of one demographic and an underrepresentation or erasure of other demographics when it comes to leadership, power, decision making and creativity, are we really creating at our highest levels? And the answer is frankly no.
1: This is really what getting better at expanding who we listen to does for us. It allows us to do a better job of cultural creation because we're listening to more imaginations, more experiences, and more thought processes. We're hearing from everyone, not just the people we've already decided we agree with. And ultimately, we move forward together as a society because everyone is getting a chance to share where they want to go. You know, I'm going to let Christina close it out here in this episode, because I don't think anyone can sum up our why better than she
0: can. So I want to leave you with a quote from Audre Lorde. She, to me, is an original, transformational, inclusive leader because she used the power of storytelling, the power of spoken and written word to get people to let go of the status quo and to move into something new. And she has a famous quote that says, we have been raised to fear the yes in ourselves, And that word race is important to know because the narratives that we feel like crusty heirlooms that we need to let go of have been conditioned into our psyche. From our upbringing, our education, the media that we consume, the experiences that we have. And I want you to say yes to letting go of limiting narratives about race, gender, class, power that do not work. I want you to say yes as a storyteller to not perpetuating the status quo. I want you to say yes to the idea that you are a transformational leader that has absolute immense power to get people to see a new norm and a new dawn. Because if we are able to build a narrative that could be mutually beneficial, that can shift hearts and can change minds, who knows what can be possible? Thank you.
1: The Story Podcast is a production of the Astoria Collective. It is hosted and curated by Harris III and produced, edited, and mixed by Chad Michael Snavely and the team at Sound On Studios. All music for season five of the Story Podcast is provided by the talented musicians at Soundstripe. For more information about this podcast and other creative offerings from Story, visit StoryGatherings.com.